Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. That always gets me, man. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you know, we, need, we, don't, we don't need lawyers, we need ninjas. That's it. Welcome to another edition of Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France here. And Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, howdy. And uh, our guest today is uh, Robert Redfeather. We'll get to him in just a moment. He is a martial arts expert. Uh, he's taught members of the U.S. military knife fighting techniques. And, uh, wow, we're, 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 we're proud and pleasure to have him on, on the show. And what hasn't he done? Well, there you go. Well, so you got some stuff you yes, want to do? First off, I want to just give a little uh, congratulations to Eileen Isherbaum Martin. That's the wife of Jerry Geronimo Martin. She is now a new associate member of the Western Writers of America. And I just want to say welcome aboard, and we're so happy for you and Jerry. Yeah. Now, the other stuff I got going here is I got a couple of birthdays. Okay. I got one fella here. He was born on the 14th of December, 1923, Joe Brooks. He was a stuntman. He's not well known. Except for he was Vanderbilt on F Troop. Ah, okay. You know? ah, and so that's okay. that's his kind of his, his thing. Another fella again goes way back, born on the nineteenth of December in nineteen fifteen was Merck Madrid. And he did over a hundred gun smokes and just tons and tons and tons of, of other shows over the years. Mm-hmm. And a special shout out to a very close personal friend, Steve Garay. He is a cowboy, rodeo, stuntman, uh, lumberjack, truck driver, helicopter pilot, one hell of a guy. And today is his birthday. I spent almost an hour on the phone with him this morning just just trashing the world. And we had a good, good, good chuckle, and we right. left on friendly terms. Well, that's always good, so you can talk next year. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's, all, that's all the news that's fit the news. All righty then. Uh, by the way, well, let's just get to our, our guest here, Robert Redfeather. Welcome, sir. Thank you. You got to know. How's everybody doing? We be doing fine. Uh, this guy is quite the individual, man. Uh, he, he teaches not from theory, but from his life experience, uh, and he's known for training uh, military troops, police officers, uh, all in the art of uh, combat and knife fighting. Uh, he's an actor, a producer, a grandmaster in martial arts. What haven't you done, sir? Eight degree. Yeah. Maybe nine by now. <laughs> what haven't you done? <laughs> Uh, well, that's a good question. I try to do everything as much as I can. There you yeah. go. Well, you know, one of the things I noticed here was that, according to the secret sources, uh, you were taught knife fighting by your grandparents. Now, I figured that's your, your, the paternal side, but then I got to thinking, maybe Grandma uh, taught you a move yeah. or two. But tell us about oh, yeah. your experience, you know, learning from your grandparents. Sure. Well, it was... Uh, go back 1973 was the time i was actually taught um i tell everybody especially in the book i tell everybody i was 15 years old but i was actually 13 Hmm. i just wasn't mature enough to the age of 15 (laughs) so like just like martial arts you know it takes a couple years before you start getting good Mm -hmm. you know but uh i've been in martial arts since i've been five years old been doing it pretty much all my life and then one day i went to a party this is the city of santa Ana, and uh I went to a party and I asked permission if I can go and they said yes of course so I went with a young girl and at this party when we got there we were there maybe only 10 minutes and this guy came up to her and started talking and harassing her oh, then I stepped in and said hey one thing led to another he said he was a crow and I said I was an Apache and <laughs> he, he pushed me and I went to kick him and he stabbed my foot Whoa. It happened so fast. I didn't want to fight after I got stabbed in the oh, foot. It was no. actually my left leg. So I went to the doctor, got a couple stitches, went home, sitting on the sofa, and my grandfather came home. And he goes, well, what happened to you? I said, I got stabbed in the foot. He <laughs> laughed. He goes, well, I'm going to do all that karate stuff, all that kung fu stuff. It didn't work, huh? Mm-hmm. And I laughed and I said, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. 
He goes, well, what happened? I said, well, the guy said he was a crow, and I said I was an Apache. And my grandfather starts to laugh. <laughs> and I'm wondering, why is he laughing so hard? And he looks at me, he goes, look, knucklehead. He was saying he was from Crow Village, not he was a crow. And I said, oh, what's Crow Village? He goes, it's a neighborhood. During that time... They had a lot of plums mm -hmm. and vegetables mm -hmm. and trees and oranges and trees, so all the crows would come out and, you know, yeah. and have a good time with the fruit. Yeah. So that's why they call it Crow Village. And he says, well, the gang's out here now. We'll say club. Uh -huh. The clubs call themselves Crow Village. It's an old term. And I said, oh, <laughs> okay. And he goes, come with me in the backyard. It's time for you to know our ways. I said, no, I don't want to. He goes, come on. I won't use the word he used, but I said, okay. <laughs> went, to the, <laughs> went to the kitchen, hopped in the backyard, and he goes, lay down. Okay, so I lay down, and we're laying up into the sky, and we're seeing this tree above us. And he goes, you see those branches? I go, yeah. I'm thinking, where is this going? Mm. Do you see all the leaves? I go, yeah. He goes, that's your enemy. It's never just one enemy. It's all these branches are in the enemy. Mm -hmm. This one you think you're fighting one, there's another leaf, mm -hmm. and another leaf, and another leaf. I just looked on and said, okay, he's crazy. <laughs> and then we got, we got up, he took a branch from the tree and he broke it in half. And he goes, stab me. And I went, really, with one good foot? He goes, this, try to stab me. I said, no. He hit me on the head with a branch. I got mad. And he hit me in the hand, and I got mad. Then he hit me in the leg, and I got mad. So I went to stab him. Well, you to make the show, he started, I was black and blue, and he kicked my buns <laughs> all over the place. And I said, wow, he's got something to offer. I've never seen this in martial arts. And I asked him, what is this? He goes, it's a patchy dyke. Why don't you know it? I just laughed. I'm like, really? So he started training me, and uh, one week he went to, he's a construction worker, he does cement, and he wasn't home, and I was training in the backyard. And my grandmother, during that time, she's in the backyard, mind you now, this is 73, she's hanging up the clothes in the backyard, she always wears this apron all the time. And you're 13, right? And I'm 13 okay. years old, that's correct, right. not 15. And she's hanging these clothes up, and she says, you're doing it wrong. I said, no, I'm not. She goes, yeah. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. I'm sounding like my grandmother. Sorry about that. And I said, no, I'm not. She goes, yeah, you are. So she takes out her spoon. She has a wooden spoon she had in her apron. And she whacked me in the hand. I went, oh, be damned. She did a downward win. And she looks and goes, who do you think taught your grandfather? And I just looked at her and I went, what? And then she walked in the kitchen. Of course, I'm there thinking... So I followed her in the kitchen, and I asked her, I go, um, how did you learn? What's going on? And then she said, you know, men never ask women anything, but women hold all the secrets. If you ask a woman, she'll know about history and stories about our people. Not mostly men. They're always either getting killed or being thrown in the pokey. Mm -hmm. They don't know everything. We do. And I said, oh, they keep the secrets by storytelling mostly mm -hmm. and talking. And then she told me the story about her mother's mother. When she used to ride a team of six horses and shoot tobacco and had a shotgun and carried a big Bowie knife. <laughs> and I said, and I said, wow, she goes, nobody would mess with her. Not bad. <laughs> because she was an Apache. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I said, interesting. So that's how that started, actually. So, but I made a promise to my grandfather I would never teach anybody. You would never teach anybody? The, the, no. The so arts? when I had my martial arts school, okay. I never taught a patching knife to anybody. Okay. Um, because I was a Buddhist. I came a Buddhist, um, let's see, what year was that? Um, in 2003, mm -hmm. for Los Angeles Zen Center out of Los Angeles, uh -huh. um, just to learn how to meditate. Mm -hmm. And there's another reason for that, which I'll get later. And then uh, a friend of mine had a seminar at my school, and he was teaching law enforcement and Marines. And they were teaching knife defense, and I kept chuckling. 
And I said, why do you keep chuckling? You think you could do better? And I said, well, I don't know, but I'll give it a go. There you go. So I fought these guys. And need to say, you know, they couldn't touch me and I beat them up pretty much. They were black and blue. And then they asked me what it was. I said, I've had you nine. They go, why don't you teach it? I said, no, I'm a Buddhist. Why would I teach people how to kill? Why would I do that? Hmm. And then the class was over. Yeah, class was over. And then the Marine named Sergeant Tanner, he kept coming around. And then he came a student of mine, he kept bugging me to teach him. I said, no, I don't teach anybody. And then I told him the same thing. Why would I teach people how to kill? And then he said to me, you'd be saving lives. Mm-hmm. You know, look at all the natives who are Marines. You know, half the, um, the service people are native people. I said, that's true. There are a lot of Indians who serve more in the military, which is very true. It's mm-hmm. the warrior way. Yeah. And then I said, hmm, let me think about it. Anyway, it kept bugging me and bugging me. Finally, I said, yes, I'll do it. So I went to the Marine Corps out there in, uh, in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And they were the uh, first first uh, Marine Division, first Marines. And I taught about 30 people. They had a corpsman there. Um, started training them, and they were laughing and giggling because I'm this civilian with long hair teaching these guys, you know, my yeah. defense. When I heard that, I said, all right, that did it. I had everybody line up, and I fought each person for about, oh, about a minute and a half. Hmm. And uh, they were black and blue. The corpsman had to kick up a couple people. Brass came by and said, what's going on here? And then he, he, he said something. And he, he said, outstanding. <laughs> hey, good job. Carry on. And he walked away. And then newspaper reporters from the Marine Corps came around because I guess the brass told them to. And they did an interview and taking pictures of me teaching the Marines. Hmm, that's cool, and well, and I and I got hooked ever since. Were you out on Mare Island at, at that facility? Yes, uh-huh. yes, I was at the base teaching yeah. them. Yeah. Okay, and then I came a government contract and started teaching the the service people. When did it uh, finally occur to you, uh, or did it occur to you that um, what your what your grandparents were teaching you? So many kids don't want to hear about. The, the ways of our people or the old ways or anything like that. Or what their parents have to say. Yeah, or uh, what their parents have to say. When when did it click for you? Uh, well, as a young man, I've always gone to powwows. We always knew we were Apache, <clears throat> but we weren't allowed to talk about it because we were fear of prejudice against Apache people mm-hmm. during yeah. that time. So everybody was claiming they were Hispanic or Mexican, you know, whatever term you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, on well, that, so but funny. I was, right. yeah, but I was pretty proud about it. We just really yeah. couldn't talk about it. What's so funny is I know I know a lot of Latins uh, over the years that I went to school with and I worked with, and <clears throat> whenever they find out I collected American Indian art and my parents collected American Indian art and I lived on the Navajo Reservation and the Hopi, they always say, "Well, you know, I'm part Apache," and I'd always say, "You're part Apache." Wow. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. So it's so f- interesting that it's it's changed over the years from hiding it to wearing it as a badge of honor. Oh, absolutely. As brown people, as we say, some of us, we're pretty proud about that, it's keeping it alive. Yeah. Well, I can give you, you know. as an example. Well, my mother's family, uh, from, they were from Texas. My great-grandmother's full-blooded Cherokee. I have a, a wonderful picture of her and my mom. And the little baby, her older, mm-hmm. and I asked my mom one time about that. I said, I said, you know, I know there's got to be a lot of Texans with mixed blood, Cherokee blood. How come they don't talk about it? And she says, she says because back then, that generation and a generation, it was like it was something to be ashamed of that you you were afraid you'd be stigmatized as a half breed or something, and so it was denied. Just like being a foreigner, <clears throat> if you've come over to the country, into the country recently, back in the uh, early 1900s, same thing. Foreigners uh, kept to themselves, did not want to speak the language for fear of reprisals. Yeah, yeah, look at you, you're Czech. You know. I know, my, my, mom, my mom refused to teach the native language to uh, her sons because she didn't want to have the, the, the stigma uh, of, of having foreign boys. 
It's like, mm. <laughs> I embrace it. You're very foreign here. Yeah, well, I know I'm foreign. But, <laughs> yeah. but well, I, I embrace it. Uh, you know, it, it's my heritage, good, bad, or indifferent. It's my heritage. Mm-hmm. It's what we got. Let's make the best yeah, of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Okay, you, uh, what, what, how much, or I should say, to what degree have you worked with the film industry? Because uh, I know you've, I've got some stuff here. But yeah, uh, I've been I've been doing it since the eighties. Um, I used I used to be a professional bull rider for mm-hmm, the PRCA, and uh, the, during the rodeo, they came up to us and said, "Hey, would you guys like to do a commercial?" And then. I said, yeah, so there was five of us, we're all friends, and we got on the bus, he took us down there, and we did this little commercial, and after the commercial, I got pretty much hooked on it, and one of my friends did a commercial for Jeep, you know, Jeep uh, commercial, mm-hmm. was pretty cool back then, and then I went ahead and uh, just started doing it from there, and doing a lot of background stuff off and on, and worked on my own projects, and then uh, signed up a um, casting, simple casting. Yeah, you're looking and, pretty and, tough yeah. on that bull in your picture. It looks good. Oh, thank you. They just want to play, you know, you know how that goes. I got a picture of me on Boxcar. That was the bull from uh, Lusty Men that was killing all the cowboys. Except uh, my pictures is me on my head and him about about yeah. seven feet up in the air. Yeah, that's how but it goes. What people don't realize, rodeo to us is like football. Yeah. On the res, you yeah. know, you're you're playing football, basketball, or football, mm-hmm. or rodeo, yeah. and it's a big thing. You go to college, high school for rodeo. It's a very good family sport, especially the fairs. It's yeah. a really good event, and I yeah. grew up that way. Yeah, we All had two weeks ago. We had Victoria Jackson on. She's a, a Paiute. What's uh, the other cross? Shoshone, I believe. Shoshone. Shoshone, yeah, oh. and. And, you know, she's a rodeo gal, horsewoman, buckaroo, or buckarette, whatever you want. <laughs> and just, you know, and it, it, she's got a book out. If you, if you come across it, it's, uh, what is the book called? Uh, Beyond the Desert. Beyond the Desert. Oh. Grab it. It's awesome. It's all about the uh, old, old cowboy the, stories. The Indian cowboys up there. Uh, and it's just a wonderful book. In Nevada, book. yeah. And it's, oh. it's a great it's a great showcase for rodeo, great case oh. for ro- Indian rodeo guys. It's just a wonderful book. Okay, we got to take our first commercial break here. Our guest is Robert Redfeather. Uh, his uh, book is A Fight Like the Wind, Apache Knife. And uh, we are streaming to you live from the White Stallion Ranch here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker DeFrance, and Todd Roberts will be right back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. This is Eb Wilkinson at Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you're within 10 to 15 years of retirement and you're putting off retirement planning, my advice to you is don't do that. Ignoring your retirement planning won't make it go away. It'll just make it worse. Give me a call and let's work on your plan together so you can retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. 
The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. 26 men, carefully chosen for their courage and ability, formed the Arizona Rangers. Fame and public acclaim was not their objective. This is perhaps why the story of these 26 men has never been told until now. This is the Voices of the West. Did you know that Santa Claus is a Texas cowboy? And he sings a song as he goes along his way. Did you know that Santa Claus is a Texas cowboy? And he sings along with a ho, 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 yeah. <laughs> We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. It's the Christmas season, yeah. the holiday season, and so that's some uh, red sovine there. Yeah. Did you know that uh, Santa was a... Cowboy, Texas I cowboy. I knew, I knew that too. Yeah. All I right, we're, I thought he was from New Mexico. Right? Well, you know, that, that's what I thought. Just a state away there. Um, we're talking with Robert Redfeather, martial artist and uh, author of a book called "Fight Like the Wind: Apache Knife." Um, Stace Pitts also col- collaborated there. Corroborated uh, and. Uh, Robert, the, yeah, they helped out. <laughs> the um, the picture of you on the cover there, love that Bowie knife. Um, oh, we're a Bowie knife. Yeah, that, that that's oh. a that's a big one, and I I don't mm-hmm. see a brass brass strap on the spine there. No, no. that's a Apache knife. That's an Apache he, knife. You make it. You make <laughs> Apache knives, right? I do make knives. I haven't done any for a while because now I live in the city and it'll be too noisy. Mm. They get the forge going out there on the, on the patio. But I make a lot of molds. I make a lot of my molds out of not, out of wood. Yeah. So when I do want to make them, I just trace my molds from so there. The the one in uh, that's on the cover here, uh, is that one of yours that you made? Actually, no, it is not. It belongs to a guy named Fitz. Ah. That's that's his name who oh, made okay. that knife. Now that knife was actually made from one of my students. And we call him Spider Wolf. That's ah. his name. Mm-hmm. And so that's why there's a spider on the end of the hilt. Uh-huh. And that one, you can hold it with two hands, sort of yeah. one hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you would swing it almost like an axe. Yeah, broadsword. Um, yeah. Yes. So, but uh, that does not belong to me. It belongs to Spider Wolf. Yeah, Are we, you still we, making knife sheaths as well? I do, all the time. I just got done with one. Now I'm making a spare head sheet for. Uh-huh. I make things all the time. The website's called ApacheBlade.com, uh, uh-huh. and you, people can go there if they want special orders well, on for that. Yeah. Well, so. we we love Bowie knives. Uh, uh, we well, pick I, our teeth with I know <laughs> Arkansas oh. toothpick. Uh, no, when uh, I visited Todd in California, uh, he took me to meet uh, uh, Joe Musso, who mm-hmm. used to be an art director with. Uh, RKO, uh, among others, and he had quite the collection of knives, a world-class collection of knives, and Bowie's were among his collection, and I met the gentleman who made the Bowie knife that he has that is very similar, at least historically similar, to the one that uh, Jim Bowie had at uh-huh. uh, the Alamo. And, and it has authenticated, yeah. Yeah, it has a, a, a brass, a piece of brass uh, along the spine of it. Um, I see. And God, it's just a beautiful knife. Any buoy is all a beautiful knife. Beautiful. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, all knives. All knives are beautiful. Do Do you guys have your my book in front of you by any chance? I do not. I'm looking at the only the cover of it. And, oh, I uh, see. And the reason why I'm asking because I designed a knife which is actually in the book, and that's on page seventy one. So I do design blades, and this one is totally custom for me because I designed it. How cool! You, know, you, you mentioned. This, you mentioned that. Uh, what is it? Let me go back on my notes here. Oh, you, that you were the founder of the Apache Knife Fighting System, uh, and how did that lead into your expert tracker instructor Apache Knife Combat Training Course? Sure. Well, it's more on culture. You know, on culture. You know, when you live in as an Apache, especially then living as the people of this world we live in, mm-hmm. you learn many things of survival. 
but uh, I just want to talk a little about Apache Knife. The word Apache Knife is pretty much means to f- the enemy's knife during combat. To understand the enemy's knife, Apache means men or fighting men or people or enemy. It's how you put in the sentence mm-hmm. what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's called Apache Knife because it's the enemy's knife during combat. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the philosophy. It's not an Apache knife because I am an Apache mm. and it makes it a knife. It's the enemy's blade you have to understand to survive right. battle. Yeah, so well, that's to me, that's important you, you guys know that. That's something that really, I find really interesting, the cultural aspects of yeah. that. You know, far too long we don't know half of the information about other cultures that we probably ought to know. Yeah. Well, that's what it is. Well, like it's it's like martial arts. Yeah. Martial, okay, here's for instance, you have the word karate, right? Yeah. Now, there's millions of types of styles of karate, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Apache knife, there's millions, well, I wouldn't say millions, there's a lot of ways to teach Apache knife from different families and different people from different tribes or bands. Everybody has their own fighting system. Apache knife belongs to everybody. Just like karate mm-hmm. belongs to everybody, right. but it's how you teach it and what you call it. So the form I actually teach is called fight like the wind. That's when I named it the style ah. because, believe it or not, I hate to talk about religion because you know politics and religion. Sure, <laughs> it's it's there's a religion and a god about the winds from the north, south, west, and east winds who come together the center of the earth to guide you and teach you during battle. I know so there's actually a uh, ceremony I did Um, it's a nice ceremony and it took four days to do it because the magic number is four for our people Mm -hmm. and it was long and it it was hard but when you're done with the ceremony the elders will ask you what did you see and what did you learn and the reason why they ask you because other people have had the same ceremony and they want to see if everybody's close what they learn. If you're not close or any even close to it, they know you're talking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You made it up. Well, so you know. when I yeah, so when you tell them what you experience, you go, ah, oh, a whole, oh, okay, good. He did learn. He is telling the truth. So that gave me the right and a name. I won't say that name yeah. to actually to teach. But I didn't teach um, for. Oh, maybe six months after that. Even though I was not teaching everybody else, I was teaching myself uh-huh. mm-hmm. more and more until I, you know, got Todd, good at it. Todd Roberts, get in there. Well, you know, Robert, there's so many different sides to you. You don't. It's it's like kind of being on. Let's make a deal. Which door do I pick? Uh, and it's a little frustrating. I got to tell you. So a, you know, there's you a lot to cover. Would the real yeah. Robert Redfeather stand up? Please, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. Um, George Kennedy was the last Spartacus, by the way. Yeah. Don't forget about John Ireland. Don't forget about John Ireland. But he wasn't yeah. the last Spartacus. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, but I will ask you a question about tracking whenever you guys are ready. Well, you know, uh, sp- speaking about tracking, I want to preclude your question about tracking with this. Um, there, there's an author by the name of Tom Brown. I don't, I don't know him personally. Wrote, yes. Okay. He wrote the the tracker, and then he wrote uh, the vision, and then he wrote the quest. I've got one, which is all. All, all autobiographical about him growing up in New Jersey and becoming a tracker for law enforcement and the FBI and uh-huh. and so on and so forth. And I just, you know, it's interesting because he was he was Anglo, born and raised in New Jersey, but his best friend that he grew up with was a, a, an Apache boy who lived with his grandparents oh. in New Jersey. And uh, he would go over there to visit and hang out with him, and they do whatever they do. And wow. one day, the grandfather said, uh, are, are you guys ready to become men? And they were like, oh, what do you mean? And he said, well, uh, if you guys want to, I'll take you to the, through the journey to becoming a man. And they were like, oh, sure. They thought they were going to go camping and fishing or something. 
Uh-huh. And the next thing you know, they're out in the wilderness with no socks on in freezing cold and mud and snow and learning how to separate your mind from your heart uh, through, you know, uh, the control of your mental state your physical state, your emotional state, and your intellectual state. Just like ranger so, school. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm just curious, curious as to how much you identify with that and, and so on. I see. Okay. Well, back on the res as a kid, you know, it's just a game. It was a game for us. You know, play hide and seek, find things, go look for the horses, you know, sheep, whatever. Look for different signs is game and having a good time. Uh, and see if you can find your friends, that kind of a thing. Um, so that's how I learned, you know. But my, you know, my grandfather would always tricked me and would say, you know, hey, go find this animal. So you go, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you bring the wrong sheep back. <laughs> somebody belongs to somebody else because you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. But sheep are, are pretty smart, even though they're, they're kind of dumb. They're smart. They know where to graze, where to come back, where to hang out. Out. So that's that's pretty clever. But the trickiest part is when he told me to get the special horse of his. You know, it was a Mustang. And so I went out there and I brought the wrong horse back. I'm going to make the show start. And then I took it back because let it go. And then I went to get the other horse. And he goes, that's not the horse either. <laughs> well, son of a gun. Hmm. So the, the fourth horse I brought back was the right one. But he said it was pretty much guessing. And then he drew a picture on the hoof, on the dirt, and showed me the difference. I said, oh, this one had a mark on it. Uh-huh. So if I would have found that mark on, you know, on the shoe horse, then I would have known. Uh-huh. But now the horses are always shoe horse because they're wild Mustangs, you know. Yep. But you get to keep the Mustangs because they're free, but you, you no, let me say that back. You get to, to feed the Mustang, take care of the Mustang, but the coats you get to keep. Uh-huh. Everybody's different. They're really good horses, but it's a lot of work you know you really have to love it but that's how I learned about tracking and then when I wanted to teach tracking someone was asking me to teach them um, they said well who are you to teach I go excuse me well, where did you learn your tracking from I go my grandparents I go nobody gives a hoot about your grandparents nobody knows who he is you need to go to a tracking school. And I said, what? <laughs> well, if you're going to be a government contractor, you got to get that certificate. I go, really? I need a certificate? Yeah, right. <laughs> I said, sure. Why, why not? So I went to this tracking school, and it was pretty cool. They, they had uh, at least about maybe 20, 25 people there, um, all types of military. Uh, they even had some feds there. They had Border Patrol there. The classes were really... Really cool. It's like it's like being a geek or a nerd. <laughs> they know so much stuff, and there's so many ways you can track. And the science it was blowing my brain apart. Yeah. And then we had a game. We went outside. And we call it the sandbox. They would. We had to turn around, and they would do something on the dirt. And then you turn around, and you have to figure out what they did. Well, I told them, and he just looked and go, "Yeah, that's right." Turn around again, and then he's something else. And they go, "Okay, what's this?" And then I told them, they go. Okay, turn around. <laughs> then I did it again. I go, you played this game before. I go, well, yeah. And then the guy asked me, he goes, why are you here? And then I told him the story, what I told you about. I need the certificate. He goes, yeah, you need to be in the mass class. You don't need to be in this class. <laughs> so, teaching. yeah. So, making the show restored, I passed the, my certificate. And then I had to go to another tracking school, got their certificate. And then I started, and I was just able to certify it, yeah, and teach tracking. That's when I learned about Tom Brown. And to me, he was amazing. Oh. The things he he did. And then they came out with a TV show of The Hunted, which he, I think, has something to do with it as well. Because it's based off the story of Tom Brown, that movie. And I found that very interesting, Mm -hmm. especially the fighting scenes, some of them. But, yeah. It's, I just, I don't know, it's just part of me being a kid, learning how to track. Well, I've I got a question here, Chris, because one of the things I, I took away from the martial arts is that one of the greatest areas of learning is when you're uh, at Kumite, what you learn 
from the man standing across from you because you know you're bringing what you know facing what he knows and having to assimilate what he's doing and at the same time maintain what you think you know yeah. that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was in sixth grade, we went on a field trip to Los Angeles. When the uh, when you see all the stars, I can't never say that word right. The Observatory, can't say it correctly. Okay. No. When, uh, oh, the Griffith Observatory. Yes, that's yeah. right. So we were there. We had a picnic, and then we lost our group. And then she didn't know which direction it went to a fork. She didn't know which direction to go. I looked on the ground. I said, "Okay, they went this way." She looked right at me. She goes, "This is not the time to be playing Indian." We're going to go this way. And I said, that's not the way we went. So she didn't listen to me. So we went that way and we messed our our lunch. We had to go back and turn on the other way. We got on our bus. And she kept staring at me in the bus the whole time we got back to the school. And when we got there, she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I said, it's okay. Nobody listens to a red man. Ooh, 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 <laughs> that's that's ooh, what I said. That's what I called myself as a young man. Ooh. You know, instead of saying I was brown. Yeah, and she, and she felt bad, but she learned something from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, it's so strange. yeah, and I and I felt bad. You know, because I didn't know what prejudice was until I went to Montana back in oh. the day. That's another. That's another story, uh, which we'll talk you about. Know, Let's do that after we uh, do our next commercial break. Oh, ready? Okay. Yeah, we, they, oh, we're you having know, too much fun. I yeah. know, we're just whipping right along here. <laughs> Robert Redfeather is our guest here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, we be right back. You can't even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business. Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. This is Eb Wilkinson at Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you're within 10 to 15 years of retirement and you're putting off retirement planning, my advice to you is don't do that. Ignoring your retirement planning won't make it go away. It'll just make it worse. Give me a call and let's work on your plan together so you can retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. This is Jerry Geronimo Martin, and I am proud to tell you I am listening to the Voices of the West. on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and John Roberts with you. Our guest is Robert Redfeather. He's a martial artist. He's, well, you know, just moreover, he's a, a teacher. He's a teacher. You know, and that that's a pretty cool thing. And I have to tell you, i got to play that high chaparral theme there, Robert, for Bunker, <laughs> okay. because otherwise he walks. He was on like 52 of those things. Sometimes oh. he was a cowboy, sometimes he was an Indian. Well, a sometimes. lot of times I was an Indian. <laughs> I was the resident blue-eyed Apache. But okay. when you watch the show, and I, we would tell people, you know, well, the Apache took took uh, children from other other races and raised them, and so they thought in common. But one of the things, when you watch the show, if you see a guy riding totally bareback, shooting a bow and arrow off of horseback, it's probably me. Okay. Yes. So that, means you, that means you slipped all over the place. Yes. And on top of that, I, I also generated one of the biggest write-ins because on one episode, Barbara Hershey, who was playing a lovely Indi- Apache maiden, 
who has a uh-huh. whole thing going with uh, blue, I kill her. Ooh, I stick oh. an arrow through her. And more people wrote in about that dirty old Apache Indian <laughs> killing that lovely young Indian baby. Oh, my God. Something else. I'm looking, Robert, at a uh, – actually, let's get back to the what we were talking about before the break. What were we break. talking about? You know, I'm – it's gone. Oh, well, what were we talking about? Oh. <laughs> you wanted me to talk about Montana. Thank you. Oh, yes. <laughs> Boy, you can see what this show is all about now. That's, that's, yeah. That's no, let me start off by saying Montana and, and by is the way, be- By the way, Robert, we're not even drinking. Yeah. We're not even drinking. <laughs> you mean you're not drinking my coffee? That would have made you drunk. I was going to ask you about Apache coffee. <laughs> you beat me to it. Well, we'll get to that. We'll yeah, get to yeah, that. Yeah. I want to hear about the Aryan Nation up Mo- in Montana. Montana first. Now, Montana yeah. is beautiful. I loved Montana when beautiful. I was there. I lived there for about three years. I was living in the Kootenai Reservations with the Flatheads. Flatheads yeah. Salish up there. By Missoula, it was a university, and they had the powwows there. So when I would go into town and... and uh, out there, there, there's a lake. It's called Flathead Lake. Yeah. And the town there, uh, when I first went in there, was it's, a friend uh, of mine. I know it. A friend of mine. We used to go up there. That's, uh, oh. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I went into the bar to play pool, they actually had a sign there that said, no dogs, no Indians. And I laughed oh. at it because I didn't take it serious. I thought it was just one of those old little... Signs he put in the old west, you yeah, know. Right. And as we were playing pool, put, barely put my money in there, and this old man had to be maybe in his eighties pushed me and goes, "All right, you couldn't get out of this bar." And I said, "What the hell is a kidney?" And he goes, "You get out!" I go, "Don't you see that sign?" I go, "What sign?" He goes, "Right there, no dogs, no Indians." I said, "You're serious." And then all the other people oh. stood up off their bar stools. And I went, "Oh shit, you serious?" <laughs> and, I, and I said, "And I and I said it one more time. What's a kooky?" And he, then somebody else said something. I go, "No, I'm not a kooky. I'm a patchy." And he goes, "That's this is worse. Oh. Get out!" Wow. <laughs> wow. So we left because I wasn't going to about hit any senior citizens. I'm sure they would have hurt me. Mm, you know? Right. <laughs> but anyway, I laughed. Shot, at yeah. <laughs> but besides that, great town, great people. They had a, a yeah, festival the every year. Yeah, flows the, right through it, and I can't think of the name of it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so, you know, and he's that was that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my That's brain it. is somewhere else now. Yeah. Well, I got. I want to, this is, this is one of the things, you know, uh, sneaking into your past. Uh, I came across an event you paddled a kayak from Newport Beach to Catalina Island. It took you over 13 hours. Now, I don't want to belittle that, but you know that uh, oh, what's it? Jack LaLanne pulled a barge full of people with his hands right. handcuffed behind him and his ankles. That's stuck. right. So what you did is, is commendable. But Thank you very much. That was one of the best times I had for I've my had age to be, doing. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I trained hard for that. When I first went into Newport Beach and I went to this kayak place, and I told him I wanted to run a kayak. And he goes, why, what are you doing? And I told him I'm going on a road to Catalina. He laughed. Nobody believed me. And the guy who worked there, too, he didn't believe me either. I go, yeah. And I kept coming in, like, every day to train. And then I asked him if he wanted to be a sponsor. And he thought about it. He goes, are you really going to roll? I go, yeah. So he says, all right. So he didn't charge me anymore. And I got to use the kayak for free. Mm. And then the kid who worked there, I'm not... I'm not saying his name because I didn't get permission. He asked me, can I go with you? And I said, are you crazy? He goes, no, you're crazy. <laughs> and I said, yeah, absolutely, you can come with me. So he trained with me. And then uh, Newport Beach, um, let's see, I think it was six months later when we went. It was off the dock in Newport Beach because nobody's ever done it from Newport Beach before. Yeah. They usually do it from Long Beach because it's shorter. Now he's the guy we in the went, picture with you then. Yes, we went at 11 o'clock at night, pitch black, pitch black at nighttime. Hmm. And we had our GPS, of course. And it was amazing. Our cell phones worked out there in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy. And then uh, we had a, a boat, a chaser boat, follow us. Great guy, good captain. He lived in San Diego. Uh, he followed us all the way there, took pictures and Recorded it so people will know we were telling the truth. We documented it. Oh, cool. And we got there around noon time um, to Catalina Island. They gave us permission to actually take our kayak right into the sand 
and nobody gets that permission. Yeah. And that was very cool. Yeah. Well, that's a cool movie. Yeah. And I did it to raise money for somebody who was making a movie and they needed money. I'm always helping people raise money. Sure. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what I did. Hey, but I had a great money. time. We need money. <laughs> we yeah. need money. We but need the scary part was at nighttime because yeah. there'll be things bumping my boat. For sure. And, and I don't want to stop <laughs> to see what it is. Right. It is. Keep going. <laughs> I'm looking at. Uh, I think we ran into a battleship. Perhaps. We didn't hurt it. I'm looking at a website called ApacheBlade.com, uh-huh. and there is a picture of a. I'm assuming you did this knife, but I know you did the sheath for it. It is absolutely beautiful. Has a uh, skull uh, for the snap. Oh uh, yes, that's patch. a K bar. Yeah, it's a K bar. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, and I mean, wow, that is that is beautiful. <laughs> like, that was the first time I made one for for a knife like that. Wow. Uh, I wanted something lighter, something solid, so I used leather um, saddle leather. Oh. So it's really thick, hard yeah. to work with. But really, it should last them forever. Sure, and if for it, sure. <laughs> and if anything comes apart, I guarantee my work, so I'll fix it for free. So that's not I got, a problem. I got a wow. question for you about that knife because that fascinated me. Uh, I've seen a lot of knife things. I've collected them. But you, you, the catchers that you had there where the blade meets the handle, those were unique. And I've, I was oh. thinking... Those with you know with a twist could be a good disarmor for another person's knife. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's why I designed it. I got I've seen a lot of knives out there. There's, well, this is what I don't like about knives. Since we're talking about that, see, they got a great blade, a terrible handle. Or it's got a great handle, no sure. guard. Yeah, right. Or it's got a great blade, great handle, no guard. Mm-hmm. Me, I have to have a guard. Yeah. Because if you're stabbing, you want something to oh, stop yeah. that hand to be going forward. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then if that handle is not curved, you get nothing to pull out. Wow. Yeah. Which I don't want. Yeah, like. For a while there, I was making a little extra money when I was in California teaching uh, stage uh, knife fighting and stage sword work, which is just basic, the basics. But uh, that was one of the things that used to drive me nuts. I'd, be, I'd have somebody there, and they yeah. would put their finger. Over the oh, yeah. I, I, I know. And I'm going, what are you doing? People have so much What's fantasies happened? about knife fighting. And I tell people, you really, you really do not want to be in that situation. You really <laughs> yeah, don't. If you can help now, it, to, avoid it. Yeah. Right. Now, to me, a knife with no guard, yeah. to me, that's a killing machine. Mm. Yeah. They don't need a guard because all they go to do is just kill, kill, kill. If it doesn't now, have to a me, guard, with a guard and using it right. Now, guard is good for knife fighting because you're going to need that. So when I did my research and I did my homework, nobody had those catchers on the blade but swords. I never saw and The reason why the swords had them was to put it in their sword sheath. Mm-hmm. So they would see the king's symbol on, 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 on those catchers. Right. And I said, well, why not put that on a knife? Because when you're really that close to someone, you can do that. So you can take somebody else's knife when you're that close, when it's hand-to-hand. Mm. But from a distance, it doesn't work. No. It only works when you're close, when you're clinching. That's how you can take somebody's knife away from my blade. All right, got to take our final commercial break. This hour has gone by just way too wow. quickly. I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts on Abel Francie's Voices of the West. Robert Redfeather is our guest. We will be right back. After these messages, Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities.
activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management, where we manage money for gun owners. When people turn 50, something miraculous happens. They start to get serious about retirement planning. They've done very well so far and want to be certain they power into the retirement they've earned. Let me guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Ed Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five stand and two sporting clays fields as well as a 9,000 square foot clubhouse which all is available to local shooters and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single day use welcome. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. You're Frank Gordon, eh? Any crime in that? Yes, there is. When that afternoon train comes through here for the east, you're going to be on it. Oh, no. I don't like trains. They make me seasick. You're going to be more than seasick if you don't take my advice. You ain't wanted in these parts. Folks are sure friendly around here, ain't you? This is the Voices of the West. Santa looked a lot like Daddy. Our Daddy looked a lot like him. It's not the way I had him pictured. Santa was so much too thin. He didn't come down the chimney. So Mama must have let him in. Santa looked a lot like Daddy. Our daddy looked a lot like him. We're back on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, our guest Robert Redfeather. I know Buck Owens is not necessarily Western. He's, but he's he's hardcore country. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He, he is Western. I I really I surely don't care what people think about it because <laughs> I like I like Buck Owens. Damn it! He, he's, he's, he's the Bakerfield well. sound. That's what yeah. it is. Bakerfield sound. Yeah, I, 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 and the Buck, Buck, Buck Owens and the Buckaroos. See, the Palace. I just love his stuff, man. Robert Redfeather is our guest, and in the uh, remaining moments we have, I'd like to talk about what you have been doing. Hustle in, in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, talk about some of talk about your um, uh, sell, contribu- sell, sell. contributions <laughs> contributions to Hollywood. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know why not? It's, it's, it's a hit and it's a miss. Yeah. You know okay. <laughs> now you're talking. Now you're talking politics. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh-huh. chicken and feathers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, for it's, sure. yeah. The strike didn't help too much yeah, either. Sure. That was a, that was a tough one mm-hmm. for everybody there. You know, but. I don't have too much to say about that, actually. Okay. Uh, the, re- the reason the reason for that is because, you know, some people have the passion to be actors. Mm-hmm. They got that passion. That's all they think about 24-7. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. So I don't give a lick if I'm doing it or not. Okay. If they call me and there's a good movie and I have time, I'll do it. Okay. But, but if not, you know. By the same token, do you have a favorite Western? I do. All right. I do. What it's is funny. it? You asked me that. It's actually... Now, before I say the name of the movie, I watch a lot of Western movies growing up as a kid, uh-huh. and all of them are jokes. Entertaining, <laughs> but not realistic to Native people. Right. right. To, 
Indigenous, Indian, whatever you want to say, I didn't really care for the movie. Until one day, I saw this movie called Broken Arrow. Ooh. I was fascinated because how close wow. it came to our Apache people on history and our customs. And I'm like, who wrote this? This hmm. is really good. Hmm. I, I, I was pretty much amazed about it. You know, I really was. Hmm. Out of every movie about Apaches, this one was pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty close. Wow. Hey, tell us about wow. the Apache Knife Challenge coins and how one goes about earning one. Sure. Well, either I did it to raise money for the tribe as well. And I also do it for people who take my knife course or they take the, the, the tracking course. That's how they can earn the challenge coin for free. So when they earn their challenge coin, it's in my right hand. I shake their hand and I give them the coin. That's the proper cool. way to do it. How cool. Um, or civilians, they don't know that or they don't even know what a challenge coin is. They just yeah. say, oh, that's pretty cool, but how can I spend it? <laughs> <laughs> can I buy anything with it? Yeah. Right, right. And that, that's when you unsheathe the knife and uh, you give it to them. <laughs> that's when you stab, no, stab the coin. So over I have their one heart. more coin to design, <laughs> no, 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 and then I'm done. I'm only going to design five coins. Yeah. So it's north, south, west, east, center of the earth. Uh, so I'm actually making a plaque. Which you can put the coins in, and the packs can explain what each coin represents. That's cool. Yeah, that is so wow. cool, man. Wow, and all right. so neat too. The, yeah. Uh, all so right. now, Robert, you've got to tell us about an Apache coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, now, Apache coffee. As a young man, my grandfather and my dad goes, "Hey, you, you want Apache coffee?" I said, "I was excited." I go, yeah, I want Apache coffee. <laughs> so he's buying this hot water, and I'm waiting for the buildup. I'm sitting there. He gets it, he gives me the coffee mug, he pours it in there, and then he sits down. And I'm just staring at him, I'm looking at my cup. I'm looking at him. I go, hey, we're poor. What do you expect? That's that's Apache coffee, hot water. I go, are you serious? This is Apache coffee? And then they would laugh at me, and then my grandfather would get his cup of coffee and would pour something stronger than his coffee. And go, this is a real Apache coffee. Something so strong. Everybody, so, yeah, so everybody okay. jokes about Apache coffee. Well, a lot of yeah. people will make their own recipe uh, for Apache coffee. So everybody knows about it. Everybody jokes about it. <laughs> you know. But then I was thinking that's, how to raise money for, right, for the tribe. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Why not coffee? So I did my homework. And I noticed other people have the name Apache Coffee, but you have Korea, you have India, mm. and you have Japan who have Apache Coffee. And I went, why are they selling Apache Coffee? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But nobody here in the United States was selling coffee, Apache Coffee. And you have the trademark now. And then I got the trademark. I looked into it. <laughs> I looked at other tribes oh, who make coffee. That's so cool. the plan is to have a coffee shop. Do my own roasting. I get it out there for people, and I'm going to go to Powell's for next year to oh, tell cool. people about Apache Coffee because it's a nonprofit, 501c3 to raise money for the Apache people. That is just so doggone if cool. If you ever come over to any of the powwows here in Tucson, yeah, let us uh-huh. know. We yeah, I'd sure like to visit. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And, and, because and I want to raise. <laughs> yeah, because I want to raise money for the Lapayan Apache people from Texas. And then no, other Apache tribes from New Mexico. Yeah. So it's just not one Apache tribe. No, it's, it's pretty all much all indigenous yeah. people. That's no, correct. There's yeah. a Kiowa Apache, Lippin, the, the, the Hecarina. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, there's the 14. Yeah, there's 14, but there's actually 30. There's a lot of tribes out there at one time. Yeah. You know, but there's only five reservations, too. So, so is the nonprofit, uh, is that your latest thing, uh, or do you have anything else going on? That, uh, we it's should. it's it's my latest thing right now. Um, mm-hmm. That's my baby. Is is the nonprofit, and mm-hmm. I also became a government contractor again, so I can teach military. Then that money will go to the foundation. Mm-hmm. I put my own money into the foundation as well. I mean, you have to. If you don't put anything into it, why would somebody else? Sure. Yeah. You know, and there's so many good profits out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And times yeah. are so hard right now. Yeah, yeah. But if they wanted to make a difference and help other people, I say everybody gets a turn. Mm. And sometimes it's my turn, you know. Robert Radfeather, you are one incredible individual. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Hang on uh, after we uh, finish up the stream. Yeah, and thank you for having me for the the voice of the West. So, so excellent. Yeah, Uh, I want to mention one other thing. Please do. I saw on his Facebook something I have never seen on any other Facebooks, 
and it just it blew me away. And that's the DNA site with all the cousins. That was just that was way. Oh, cool. thank you. Way cool. Yeah, Jerry Geronimo. Never, Jerry Geronimo Martin is a cousin. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's correct. Right. I, I never knew I had so many cousins in Texas. <laughs> all was right, a, there was a. Passel. <laughs> Passel. Robert, hang on the line. Don't run away and after we close out the show. That's it for this time on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 78, 79. Adios, all you Apache knife carriers. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 